Jesus said, focus on yourself, get yourself right, get yourself healthy, and then you can help others. And you won't do it with finger pointing, you'll do it with love and compassion and embrace and carrying them and upholding them. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. One of the devil's favorite ploys is to accuse a suffering person for bringing it on themselves. But sometimes it's not your fault. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire, and thank you for joining us. Today we're starting a brand new message I'm calling, It's Not Your Fault. You know, Jesus was approached one day by a group of men who insinuated that a terrible accident killing 18 people was actually the result of God's judgment. But Jesus let them know that it wasn't God's judgment at all. This tendency to judge suffering people is as old as Job. The last thing a suffering person needs to hear is it's your fault. I believe today's message is going to help many of our listeners come out from under condemnation by realizing it's not your fault. So let's go right to today's word. You know what they really need? They need somebody to reach out a hand of love and say, hey, I see you're going through all kinds of trouble. I'm not here to point a finger at you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to say you must have done something wrong. I'm here in the name of Jesus to love you, have compassion on you, to hold you up, to encourage you, to pat you on the back, to uphold you, to help carry you until you get through this thing. That's what God has called the church to do. I'll give you a for instance. When Islamic terrorism struck in New York on 9-11, all those people in the Twin Towers, were they worse sinners than everybody in New York? No way. They weren't worse sinners. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And here was the question. Here's what Jesus would have wanted to know. How many of those in those Twin Towers were right with God when their time came? Because you never know when your time is going to come. You never know. What about those 239 people who were on the Malaysian jetliner when it crashed into the Indian Ocean, going right off the radar screen and crashing? Were they under God's judgment for being worse sinners than all other Malaysians? Or were they just in the wrong place at the wrong time? And the real question was, how many in that jet knew Jesus? How many in that jet had repented? How many in that jet were right so that when they knew they were going down, they said, well, if this is my moment, Lord Jesus, here I come. But how many grabbed the seed and said, in the little bit of time they had, how many grabbed that seed and said to themselves, I should have gotten right. I should have been right. I should have walked right. I should have made that decision. I should have started following Jesus. Way back when, when I had the chance. Jesus says so many times it's not God's judgment. It's because we're in a world of trouble, a world of pain, a fallen world. And in his mind, it is, have you gotten right? Because that's our life. And that's the next point, really. Jesus warns that the real issue is we're in danger of perishing without repentance. 
Let me tell you what the Bible, how the Bible sees humanity, how the Bible sees the world. Jesus is saying, here's the deal. You're all sinners and will all one day die from one thing or another. And you will all perish in your sin unless you repent. That's the word of Jesus. You know what? When I read Jesus, I realize he was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I mean, he burned the house down sometimes with what he said. He didn't just walk around saying nicely, love one another and patty. Listen, he said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish just like they did. He told the truth, undiluted, unapologetically told the truth. He said, you're all sinners. He's talking to these men now who have brought him this report. He said, you're all sinners, and you're going to die one day. And my question to you is, are you right with God? Have you repented? Because if you haven't, you're going to perish like those at the tower did. You're going to perish like those who were murdered. It's not how you die, but are you right with God when you die? Can I say it again? It's not how you die. We're all going to die, but it's were you right with God when you died? According to Jesus, the whole human race is in just as much danger as the 18 that were standing too close to that tower. David, one time, when David was being chased by Saul, he made this statement. He said, I am but one step from death. Nobody in here knows when your day is, when your time is. That's Jesus' point. He says, you take the time God has given you to repent and get right with God because your time is coming. It's coming. An unexpected accident or sickness can bring your last day on earth in a moment's time. And the accident or sickness, more times than not, is not your fault. It's not your fault. Those involved in that tower accident, they didn't topple it. They didn't push it over. They didn't make it happen. They were just standing there, and all of a sudden, their day came. When they got up that morning, they had no idea. This is my last day on the planet. A really weird, unexpected accident is going to happen. A tower is going to fall on me, and I'm going to meet my maker. This is why James warns against assuming you have all kinds of time to get right with God. He said, you know not what tomorrow may bring. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Have you ever gotten up and there was a fog on the ground? You look out there and it's foggy. And maybe you go outside 30 minutes later and that fog is completely evaporated. That's your life. You're here a little bit and then gone. You're a blink sandwiched in between two eternities. A camera flash. A nod. Boom. You were here. Boom. You're gone. But it's that moment. It's that life on this earth. It's that time that God has given us to get right and to serve him. That's Jesus' message. The most important thing to Jesus was the soul of man, not how a person dies. He said, your soul is more valuable than anything on earth. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and all the riches therein and lose your soul? Your soul is more valuable than all the gold that used to be in Fort Knox. You could gather all the riches in all the world and bring it all together in some huge, vast building. And Jesus said, walk away from it if it means your soul, because your soul is more valuable than anything on earth. Gold, silver, diamonds, rubies, your soul. We've all got a soul, and it's eternal. James said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. 
You're here right now because God allowed you to breathe this morning. Did you know that? The Bible says your next breath is in the hands of God. And people walk around, they walk around arrogant and cocky and act like I've got the whole world in front of me and I'll do what I want, when I want, where I want. And they don't know that God is holding their next breath in his hands. And by the mercy of God and the grace of God, they live that day. Their heart beats that day. Because when your heart stops beating, your soul goes into eternity and then it's eternally too, too late. You will not come back as a grasshopper or a cricket or a cow or a dog. There is no reincarnation. It's given unto a man to die once and then the judgment. Do you know that Moses wrote one psalm? There's one psalm that includes the writings of Moses, and he talked about this very thing. He's talking to God in prayer. Moses, the man of God, the man who talked with God face to face, he's praying in this prayer. Listen to what he says. This is out of the Living Bible, but it's so powerful. Psalms 90, verse 3. You speak, he says to God. You speak, and man turns back to dust. We glide along the tides of time as swiftly as a racing river and vanish as quickly as a dream. We are like grass that is green in the morning, but mowed down and withered before the evening shadows fall. I have flowers in my backyard. I go by these hanging baskets, and I, just last week, I had a hanging basket of these beautiful pink flowers, just hanging down off the basket, beautiful, you see it from the road. I was very proud of those pink flowers. And then the next day, I went out there, and they're gone. They're all withered and brown and gross looking. I said, what happened to you? You look great just yesterday. That's you. That's me. Have you been to a high school reunion? <laughs> you know, you got this memory of those people that were in high school with you. Oh, she was so pretty. He was so good looking. And then you have a high school reunion and you go. And what do you see? A bunch of withered, <laughs> brown, hanging. And there isn't any place on earth where more lying takes place than a high school reunion. Oh, you look great. Inside you're thinking, where in the world have they been? What did they do to themselves? You see them, you say, oh, oh hallelujah, how you doing? Good to see you. And your name was what? Because you know what's happened to them? Listen, listen. We're like grass that is green in the morning junior high, high school, but mowed down and withered before the evening shadows fall. That's life. That's you and me. We don't last long. He goes on, you spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. Seventy years are given to us, and some may even live to eighty, but even the best of those years are often empty and filled with pain. Soon they disappear, and we are gone. Here today, gone tomorrow, that's our life. Jesus said the most important thing is not how you die. It's not how old you are when you die, but what condition were you in? Had you taken the opportunity to repent and get right with God? That's the whole gist of Jesus' statements here. So Moses concludes with this advice. He says, teach us to number our days. Paraphrase, teach us that our days are numbered. And recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. 
Be wise with your time. God's given you today. Are you serving Him? Are you glorifying Him? Are you walking with Him? Is your time being used to the glory of God? Are you spending it on yourself and only on yourself and whatever you want to do? Jesus said, that's not wise. Wisdom is realizing your days are numbered and you have this opportunity to repent, which means change your mind, turn around and get right with God and live for God and serve God, redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Our nation is living like such a company of fools. We're not thinking about sin. We're not thinking about how we're grieving God. We're not thinking about the things we're doing wrong that are provoking the judgment of God. We're just going our own way, doing our own thing. It's all about us, but it's not all about us. It's all about Him. And He says, I've given you time. I've given you time. You have precious time. You have today. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not here yet. You may not have it. This is Jesus' point with the murder of the Galileans and the accidental deaths of the 18 when the tower fell. Be ready for unless you repent and get right with God, you will perish in your sins, which is far worse than being murdered or dying in an accident. That's what he's saying. Then finally, Jesus taught that rather than assuming somebody has been judged by God, we should judge ourselves first. One commentator writes this. He says, when people are disposed to speak about the great guilt of others and the calamities that have come upon them, they should first inquire about themselves. I really do believe that God lets some things happen around us that are severe, that are difficult to look at, difficult to watch, a terrible accident, something like that, so that we will check ourselves out. It will remind us that one day you die, one day it's all over, and are you right with God? Paul said the same thing in the Corinthian church. He said, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? Or are you just pretending? Are you a great pretender to be Christians when actually you aren't at all? Billy Graham said the greatest harvest field in the whole world is the American church. The American church is filled with people who aren't saved. They've never met Jesus. They're in church for a variety of reasons. I go to church so I can meet business people and make business deals. I go to church because I'm looking for, to get married. I'm looking for singles. I go to church because it makes me feel better about myself, that I went to a religious gathering. I go to church because I like watching him sweat, though I don't believe him. <laughs> Do you know that Benjamin Franklin was really good friends with the greatest preacher in the world in the 1700s? Benjamin Franklin put the kite up in the air with the key attached to it to find out about lightning. And the lightning hit it. We all know the story. His brilliant scientific mind, Ben Franklin, was really good friends with George Whitfield, the torch and the flame of the great awakening, the great preacher, the amazing orator, spoke to crowds of twenty and 30,000 people with no microphone, no speaker, because they didn't exist. His voice carried as if by the power of God. And Ben Franklin used to go hear him. And he got to know him, and they corresponded with one another. He was friends with the greatest preacher on the planet. But somebody said to Ben Franklin one day, Do you believe what he says? 
Talking about George Whitfield? Do you believe him? And Ben Franklin said, no, but he believes what he says. Ben Franklin died a deist. A deist doesn't get saved because a deist doesn't believe in Christ. He died a deist. He died lost, according to the Bible. But he was this far, this close to the greatest gospel preacher in the world. But he didn't get it. Unless you repent, you also will perish. Jesus never told you and me not to judge. He just said, judge yourself first. Check yourself out. Paul, again, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? Or are you just pretending to be Christians, going to church and saying all the right words? Do you know you can say he is Lord and not be saved? No, Jeff, you haven't read the Bible. Oh, I've read the Bible. Now, let me tell you, but the Bible says you can't say he's Lord, but by the Spirit. Ah, but you can, and that's not what it means. He says no man can say Jesus is Lord and really mean it and really have experienced it unless the Spirit of God has brought him to that point. But you can lip sync anything. You can say, oh, yeah, he's Lord, he's Lord. You can have all the right words, all the right verbiage, and go through all the right motions and still be lost. Why worry about a speck in the eye of your brother, said Jesus, when you've got a two-by-four in your own? Should you say, friend, let me help you get that speck out of your eye? And here's somebody, I picture he's in an ophthalmologist's chair. He's back there. His eyes are open. They're dilated. And here comes an ophthalmologist with a big two-by-four in front of his eyes. And he said, then let me operate on you and fix you. We're going to say, dude, get that two-by-four out of your eyes before you touch me. See, we, we do the same thing. That's the whole point with Jesus' story. He says, you're looking at these people that had the accident or they got murdered. And you're saying they were worse sinners. But I'm telling you, you need to look at you. Amen. Friend, let me help you get that speck out of your eye when you can't even see the see because of the two-by-four in your own. Hypocrite, first get rid of the two-by-four, then you can see to help your brother. I've often said the church has a grapevine the winemakers Ernest and Julio Gallo would envy. So, well, man, I came to church today to get edified. I'm kind of feeling... Listen, we need to hear this. We need to hear this. This is just Jesus. This is Jesus. What I'm saying is the, the grapevine that's in churches, I mean rumors, unfair judgment, criticism, gossip, all too often characterize church life. You know there are people that are not in church today. They were so leveled by gossip and innuendo and rumors that were spread about them. And they just said, you know what, if that's church, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And here's the deal. Jesus said, Focus on yourself, get yourself right, get yourself healthy, and then you can help others. And you won't do it with finger pointing. You'll do it with love and compassion and embrace and carrying them and upholding them. The story is told of a woman named Mildred. If you're a Mildred in here, I am not talking about you. I know nothing about you. The story is told of a woman named Mildred. The church gossip. And the self-appointed arbiter of the church's morals. Every church has one. I don't know of one in our church, but there's probably one out there. There's no reason I'm sharing this. Nothing has happened. I just know church. So here's the deal. 
She was the church gossip and self-appointed arbiter of the church's morals, and she kept sticking her nose into everybody's business. The Bible calls that a busy body. It's a body always busy with other people's stuff. Several members were unappreciative of her activities, but they feared Mildred. If we confront her, she's liable to go out and start rumors about us, so I'm just going to leave the woman alone and turn her over to God. But she finally made a big mistake, Mildred, when she accused George, a new church member, of being an alcoholic. After she saw his pickup truck parked in front of the town's only bar. One afternoon, Mildred was going into town, small town, she passes the one and only bar, and there's George's, the new church member's pickup truck. She, oh, I wonder what George is doing in there. She went into town, spent a few hours, and then turned around and came back, and the truck is still there. So Miller now assumes he's got to be an alcoholic. He's a secret alcoholic. I need to tell other people so they can pray for him. <laughs> that next Sunday, she commented to George himself and others that everybody seeing his truck in front of the bar knew what he was doing. George, you should not have been in front of that. What were you doing in front of that bar? You must be a closet alcoholic. If he wasn't a drunk, his pickup wouldn't have been there. George, a man of very few words, stared at her for a moment and then just walked away. He didn't say anything, didn't defend himself, didn't explain, didn't deny. He just walked away. Amen. And later that evening... George quietly parked his pickup truck in front of Mildred's house and left it there all night long. I like George. I, that's ingenious. How many of you think Mildred stopped? Now, let's recap this because I want us to go out of here remembering what we said. So say this with me first. Don't read God's judgment, read God's judgment. into other people's troubles. Second, we're all in danger of perishing in our sin unless we repent. And third, judge yourself first. Are you right with God? The Lord has called us to comfort, encourage, and strengthen the suffering, not lay on them a further burden of guilt and blame. More than once I've carried the added weight of self-blame for something that was totally out of my control. I hope today's word was an encouragement to you and that it lifted unnecessary condemnation from your shoulders. Well, don't go anywhere, because our announcer has some exciting things to share with our Life Talk listeners you will want to take advantage of. And join me again next time as we begin a new life-changing series titled, The One That Got Away, all from the Song of Solomon. Until then, may God bless you richly is my prayer. Now you can bring Pastor Jeff Wickwire and Life Talk right into your home, your car, or wherever you may be to lead you on the exciting journey of building up your Christian walk in faith, hope, and love. For a gift of any size to Life Talk, Pastor Jeff will send you a CD collection of some of his most anointed and inspiring teaching series. 
These CDs will strengthen your faith and build your understanding of what Christ Jesus did for you at the cross. You will begin to understand just how much our Heavenly Father loves you and the whole world. So call now, toll-free, 877-884-3111, or just log on anytime, day or night, to lifetalk.tv. Listen to Pastor Jeff's hope-filled CDs again and again, or give them to family members or friends as a gift. Don't wait. Call 877-884-3111 right now, or log on anytime to lifetalk.tv and give your best gift today. Today's program is entitled, It's Not Your Fault. You can get your own copy of this message for just $5 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.